Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Um, well, hello, Timberlake. Hello to all our campuses. My name is Chris. I'm the creative pastor here. Basically, that's, that means I spend the majority of my time trying to convince Pastor Ben that for Christmas, he should zip line from the balcony to the stage wearing angel wings. And so I'm like... This close. And so I'm just saying, you may want to be at our Christmas Eve services because you do not know what might happen. Um, but actually, no, the creative pastor just means that uh, I work with the team that does all of our music and our tech and our videos and uh, our marketing. So I work with a really talented group of people that I'm so blessed to be able to work with each week. And they do a great job, right? Yeah. Yeah, they do an, ama- yeah. They do an amazing job. Um, so I'm glad that I get to work with that team. Um, I, full disclosure, I'm a little bit freaking out right now because this is actually the, the first time I've ever done this before. Uh, last night, our Saturday night service was the first time I had ever spoken in front of a group of people like this. So uh, in, I'm trying to maintain my composure, but inside there's like this three-year-old little boy screaming for his mommy. Um, so, but, but this can be like a, a participatory thing. So if you just work with me, um, just smile and nod at everything I say and pretend like it's really interesting. And then when I say terrible jokes, just laugh really hysterically and we'll be fine. Everything will be good. Um, so a little bit about me. I, I, I'm from Peoria, Illinois. It's a small town. If you've never heard of it, that's fine. A lot of people haven't. It's about two and a half hours uh, southwest of Chicago. We moved up here two years ago. Um, specifically because I felt called to this ministry here at Timberlake. I felt that God was calling me out here. I wasn't actually even searching for a position or a job. It was just a weird series of events where I felt like God was saying, this is where I'm supposed to be. And two years later, actually it was two years, December 12th, um, two years later, I feel like this was definitely the right decision. My wife and I both feel confirmed about that. So I'm glad to be here with you today. Um, So speaking of my wife, I've been married for nine years to a beautiful woman named Brandy. Um, we got a picture of her, I think. I'm, I'm sorry, she's really hot. I was like, I got like caught up there for a second. Um, just a disclaimer, I really enjoy spending time with my wife. I, I love my wife. You can't necessarily tell here. I don't, I don't know if you've heard this thing that uh, black guys aren't supposed to smile in pictures, but that's like a, you know, it's a real thing. So I, I don't make the rules. Uh, I'm just trying to do the best I can. Um, But I was raised by a single mother who made amazing sacrifices to provide for me, and I'm very grateful to her. Um, And so, so yeah, I I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. Now, uh, I I did want to mention that I was asked to come speak here today because I obviously look so much like Ben that we just figured that it would... Oh, no, you're laughing. No, see, it's because of the hair thing, right? See, I've I've got an old picture. maybe, Maybe that helps a little bit. Now that now I can see where I'm coming from. Actually, we've got a, an amazing graphic designer, Joe, who put that together. Here's, yeah. Look at that. He looks like a real estate agent for pirates. That, that just made my 2019. All right, thank you, everybody. I'm going to go. <laughs> oh, man. But no, so as you might be able to tell, we might have a little bit of fun today. Uh, Pastor Ben's in Hawaii, so he can't do anything about it other than text a lot. Um, 
So, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't saved until I was 20 years old. I actually didn't grow up in church. And so it is a miracle I survived that first 20 years. I mean, I've got stories that you would not believe, but by the grace of God, I'm here and I'm excited to be able to share with you today. Now, um, we're in our third week of our Finding Home series. And today I'm going to be talking to you about finding joy in a message that I'm calling the pursuit of happiness. Now, when the founding fathers were establishing this great nation, they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all of us should have uh, the right to three things, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And today, obviously, I'm going to be focusing on that third one, the pursuit of happiness. So we'll start off by defining happiness. What does that even mean? We'll look at a biblical example of someone who pursued happiness, and then I'll just give some of my thoughts and insights on the matter. So what is happiness? What does that actually mean? I I went on Google and I looked for some things, and one of the first things that popped up was this. It said, happiness is that feeling that comes over you when you know life is good and you can't help but smile. That seems to sum it up pretty well, but it's also a little broad, right? Because what does that mean life is good? Like, how do you know that? I mean, what, what makes life good? Anybody, what, what makes life good? See, Seahawks, they are around here, hey, Seahawks until they lose, and it's like, ah. But um, what, what else, what makes life good? Family, yes, family. Everybody almost said that in unison. Family, that's super important. Family, um, having a family that cares about you, having a career that's meaningful, not having to worry about money, all of these things can make you feel like life is good. And so the founding fathers really seemed to set the trajectory for the way the citizens of this country would live and what we would prioritize. And then fast forward to 2019 and think about how much time, money, and energy we spend trying to pursue this thing called happiness, many times with little or no success. And so to examine a biblical example of someone who pursued happiness in the Bible, we're going to go to the book of Luke. And In this chapter specifically, Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people. Now, Jesus was an amazing teacher, and he often used story illustrations to get his point across, as we can see here in Luke 15. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, to give you a little bit of context here, back in those days, if you had two sons, which this guy did, if he had two sons, then you passed away, and the older son would get two-thirds of everything you owned, all of your worth. And the younger son would get one-third of everything. So basically, this son was demanding boldly one-third of everything that his father owned. While his father was still alive, he could still use these resources, but his son was demanding for him to give them these things right now. And what's crazy to me, I didn't even say please, the disrespect is insane, but um, what's crazy to me is that the, the father did it. He granted his request. And I was raised by a single mom, and she did not play games. I mean, she, she was a great woman, but she did not play around. And I'm trying to imagine myself making that phone call to make this request. It would go, go something like this. Hey, mom. Still alive, huh? Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, yeah, well, see, look, uh, I know that you've written me into your will, and I've got an inheritance coming, and I've got some investments I want to make. Could I, could I just get that now? And then that story would end something like this. And three days later, the son awakened from his coma and realized his mistake. (laughs) The end. But but in the story that we're talking about, the guy actually did it. He granted his son's request. And that brings me to my first point, which is be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Now, do you think that the father in this story actually thought this was a good idea? 
No, I mean, he probably knew his son's young, he's going to do something foolish with the money, but still, he granted his son's request. And similarly, God gives us free will. And so he's not necessarily going to protect us from our own poor choices. That song, Jesus Take the Will, great tune, but it's not entirely accurate. It's, it's more like, um, Jesus give me turn-by-turn directions, and I can decide whether I follow them or I end up scared from my life in Lakewood, where Pastor Ben is from. Which, to be, to be fair, I've never actually been to Lakewood, but when he talks about it, it sounds like some sort of like World War III, like he's dodging bullets like the Matrix or something. Um, <laughs> so be careful what you ask for. You know, I don't think it's an accident that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he keeps the personal request to a minimum, right? So, Father, give us our daily bread, uh, deliver us from evil, um, and forgive us for our sins. So basically, Lord, protect me, forgive me, and hook me up with some Chipotle. It's, it's very, very simple. So it's better to err on the side of simplicity than to ask for something that maybe I'm not ready for or maybe that isn't even good for my life, and then I end up regretting it. So let's keep going in Luke. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. What a surprise. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Now the son didn't anticipate that there was going to be a famine in the country. That's one of those things that you just can't see coming. And we make our plans with this assumption that our circumstances can't deteriorate at any given moment. I don't know when the economy's going to tank. I don't know if I'm going to have my health this time next year. And so when we feel like God's not answering our prayers, we can't just assume, oh, I'm being punished or God's not hearing me. We just need to trust him. Which leads me to my next point, which is consider your perspective. You see, our interpretation of the world is based on this very limited perspective of things. We can't see the future, but God can. And so while you're getting angry at God because you prayed that you would get this job and you didn't get it, you didn't know that the workplace environment there is toxic. You didn't know that they're being poorly managed, and in 18 months, the whole company's going to go belly up. You'd be, be better off selling snow cones in Antarctica, wearing flip-flops. You know, it's, it's not a good situation. And you're getting mad because you're praying, God, please make this relationship work. This is my soulmate. I can feel it in my bones. Please just make it work, Lord. But what you don't know is the whole time you've been dating, that person's already been married, and they take their wedding ring off when you're together. Or either that or they own a cat. Like, either one of those things is equally unforgivable, right? I mean, I, to cat people, I'm just, I'm totally just kidding. Cats are terrible. Um, but <laughs> but you, you have to consider your perspective. I'm just saying, I've learned over the years that uh, I can't talk to God as if I know something he doesn't. Or is it, if I have any clue what's actually best for my life or what will bring my life meaning. I just need to trust his plan for my life. And so uh, things aren't going very well for our main character right now. He's broke. He's hungry. He ends up getting a job as a servant where he's um, feeding pigs. And so let's, let's look at this scripture. It says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Which leads me to point three, don't settle for pig slop. Well, that's like the best fill-in of all time, right? 
I was like, I got to find some way to get pig slop in there. But um, don't settle for pig slop. This guy went from living comfortably in his presumably well-off father's home to being so desperate, so hungry that he was drooling over pig slop. Which, fun fact, I think the Greek word for pig slop used here actually translates roughly into Taco Bell. So, I, you know, just good trivia question. Um, but it's ironic that this guy's pursuit of happiness left him starving and desperate wishing that he could share a meal with pigs. Be very careful about your own ability to determine what's best for you because this guy is clearly second-guessing his judgment, right? God has amazing plans for my life, better than anything that I could come up with. I'm a creative pastor. Creative ideas are what I do for a living, and I couldn't even fathom a purpose for my life that even comes close to what God has planned for me. And so be careful about that. Um... So at this point in the story, the son is desperate. He, he's like, okay, nothing's working out. I'm so hungry. I have nothing. I'm just going to go back home. And he knows his dad's probably disowned him. He's, he's not even probably going to want to take him back. But he thinks, I'll just grovel at his feet and beg him to take me back as a servant. Not even as a son, just as a servant. Because that, even that is better than the situation I'm in now. But when he goes home, look at what happens here. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now after everything this son did, disrespecting his father, abandoning his family, squandering a third of all of his father's wealth, the first thing that his dad does when he sees him is run, run to him, throw his arms around him, and kiss him. And, and the story even goes on to say that his dad threw him this big party to celebrate his return. Now, I hope that you're making the connection that the dad in this story represents our Heavenly Father. Now, this isn't, this isn't in your notes, but the Bible says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And when you decide to follow Jesus, you become a son, a daughter of the creator of the universe who is loving and kind and generous. Listen closely. You are never too far from God for his grace to reach you. I'm going to pause there for a second. This is a little bit of a digression, but... I think it's important for me to share this today. Um, I'm 40 years old. Sorry. It's still a little bit hard to say that. It's, it's been like half a year and it's still like, ugh. But I'm 40 years old and never once in my entire life has my dad run to me, thrown his arms around me, and celebrated me. I, I honestly don't even really know my dad. I grew up thinking that I wasn't worthy of a father's love, that he walked out on me because I wasn't worth staying around for. And when I thought of this word father, it just made me think of domestic violence, drug abuse, and abandonment. Maybe not everybody in here needs to hear this today, but someone in here needs to hear me say this. Do not project the failures of your earthly father onto your heavenly father. It took me a long time to reconcile this idea 
of a heavenly father. But he's not this flawed human being. His love is perfect and unfailing. I, I teared up even writing this because as I say it, it just hits me right in the core of my being that my heavenly father loves me and he's good. And maybe some of you in here today need to say that to just solidify it for yourself. That my heavenly father loves me and he's good. Can we say that together? My heavenly father loves me and he's good. And no matter how far you stray from him, no matter where you're at, what you've done, as soon as you come home, he will embrace you and celebrate you. Now as we continue in the story, there's this huge celebration going on. The father's overjoyed. The son has returned. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody lives happily ever after. Except one person, the older son. Now, this is kind of a twist. Look at this. The older brother became angry. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, that, that fattened calf thing might weird you out a little bit, but that just basically means his father pulled out all the stops for the celebration. It's like when you invite people over for a dinner and you want to impress them, so you pull out all the nice china and the flatware. I'm not a very good host, so I just pull out the thicker paper plates. Um, but hey, chinette, man, that chinette is good. Um, so the older son is a little salty here. He's like, I, I've done everything you've asked for, for me to do all my life. I've been the perfect son. And yet, you, you celebrate this knucklehead. Where's my party at? I got nothing. But, but wait a minute. Let's go back and look at the very first verse that we read. Look at this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, them plural. So that means the younger son, he hit the jackpot. He got one third of all of his father's wealth. But the older son, he got twice that. He got two thirds of all of his father's wealth and he's still sitting here complaining. Like, dude, chill. Which, which brings me to my next point, which is stop the comparison. If you ever in your life hope to be happy, you gotta stop comparing your life to everybody else's. Now, I used to work for the Head Start program, which is um, an early childhood education program for low-income families. It's like a preschool with social services. And sometimes I would go into the classroom. It wasn't really part of my job responsibility, but I would just go in there because, honestly, I thought it was hilarious. Like, the kids were amusing to me. I don't know if you've ever watched, like, a group of kids play, but it's like this microcosm of society. You see, like... You see, like, political factions clashing over how to divide the pudding cups, and you've got, like, this one kid trying to assert his leadership and draw territorial boundary lines around the playground. He's probably an eight on the Enneagram. <clears throat> ben Sigman. <clears throat> um, it's, it's dusty in here. I don't know what that's all about. Um, but every time I would go in there, there would be almost always just one certainty. There'd be this one kid, and he'd have this huge pile of toys I mean, pile of toys so big he can barely even see over the pile of toys. And he's playing and stuff. And then he sees one kid walk by with like one Lego because that was like all that was left in the toy box. So he's like pretending that it's a plane or something. 
And what does the kid with all the toys do? He throws a fit because he wants the Lego. He's like, forget all of this stuff. Give me that Lego. And I'm like, what? And so the teacher's like, well, now Timmy's playing with the Lego, and you have all of these toys. You can play with them. And he's like, no, I don't want it. I'm not going to do it. No. Which, by the way, is kind of how I act when my wife tries to get me to watch The Bachelor. Um, so that show is terrible. Um, but he, he got so mad because he just wanted that Lego. He's got this pile of toys that he can't even see over. And all he wants is this Lego. What is up with that? Why, why is it that we obsess about the thing that we don't have? We can have the entire world except for one thing. And that's all we focus on. Back in 2010, there was a 7.0 magnitude earthquake in Haiti. And the church that I was at at the time, we decided we wanted to help the country however we could. So we decided to partner with an orphanage over there. And so we were going to send an investigative team out to just meet the staff, meet the children. And I was part of that team that went out there. And when we landed in Port-au-Prince, it it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I mean, this country was already poor to begin with, but this earthquake just devastated them. Hundreds of thousands of deaths. It looked like a war zone. And so when we're on our way to the orphanage, I'm just thinking, I have to prepare myself. I'm getting into pastor mode. I'm, I'm thinking, I have to do whatever I can to try to console these children who are grieving, who are lost, who are hurting and desperate. But when we got to the orphanage, I saw something that changed my perspective. They were playing. I'm talking about they were running around, belly laughing, smiling ear to ear, and playing. I met this kid, Joseph, and we just spent hours just having a good time. We got a picture of him, I think, up here. We we spent hours having a good old time, playing, laughing. Now, I swear that we were having a good time here. (laughs) Remember how I told you black guys don't smile in pictures? It's, it's international. It's not just a U.S. thing. So, like, right before that picture, he was laughing, so I swear. <laughs> but, he, but seriously, these kids had nothing. They had no parents, no family, no resources, no, no assurances that anything was ever going to get better. But they had joy. How is that possible? Maybe when you have next to nothing, you're left with all that matters. You know, I read a statistic that said 83% of all Haitians know Jesus. I don't think that's a coincidence. Now, if you, hear, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. The easiest way to be unhappy is to pursue happiness. And I know that seems counterintuitive. You're, you're like, wait a minute, that, that seems backwards. But it seems counterintuitive because society is great at marketing lies. They say, This new phone has all the great features. Trade in your old phone. The 2020 model has more horsepower. You need this. And you see people on their social medias, and they're going to all these exotic places, eating all this delicious-looking food, and their relationship is perfect, and their kids are perfect, and their life is perfect. Why can't I have their life? But there's always a story behind that picture that you don't see, a broken marriage, maxed out credit cards, hopelessness that you can't see through the facade of their smiles. I mean, heck, that picture that you saw of me and my wife, we were probably fighting right before we took that picture. 
I'm sorry, I can't smile. I'll lose my membership card. I, I'm not. Um, but you think you want what they have. You think you need the newest and fastest thing. But there's always someone happier. There's always something better. And the harder you chase happiness, the further away it gets. So how do we find happiness then, you're saying? Great question. You stop pursuing happiness and start pursuing Jesus. And you're like, come on, man. That's not exactly an M. Night Shyamalan ending, Chris. You're a pastor. You have to say that. Pursue Jesus, yeah. I'm just telling you what I've learned from my own personal experience, and I'm telling you what's in the Bible. Look at what Paul says to the Philippians. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in almost every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And if that's not enough, listen to Jesus. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. And I think we make this mistake of assuming that if we follow Jesus, we have to live this unbearably unpleasant life. And it makes it hard to trust him because you're like, I'm going to have to give up all of my hopes, all of my dreams. I'm going to have to walk around wearing Birkenstocks for the rest of my life. I don't want to do that. But the Bible says that God's plans for you are to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. But you have to start by trusting him. And, and I don't want to lead you down the wrong path and make you think that this is going to be all roses and rainbows for the rest of your life if you follow God. There's still going to be setbacks. There's still going to be disappointment. There's still going to be pain. I, I want to show you something. Levi, could you bring me that? Levi, everybody. He's a man. <laughs> you know what this is? This is really exciting. I'm glad that we have this here. I can't believe I got this. But um, after two years of living in the Seattle area, I've come to the conclusion that this is the official state tree of Washington. <laughs> Isn't it majestic? It's beautiful. <laughs> no, this traffic cone represents a delay. It could be a slowdown. Or it could be a complete detour, but either way, it's going to affect my journey, and I have to decide how I'm going to respond to that. I could let it affect my attitude and impact me and everyone around me, or I can just realize that detours don't change my destination, which is, yeah, that's the point. All right. Um, so if I'm on my way to Taco Bell to get some of that delicious pig slop, and I hit some road construction... That doesn't change the fact that at some point in the evening, I'm going to be shoving a chalupa in my face. And in the same way, when things don't go well in our lives, it doesn't change God's plan for us. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He didn't say there might be trouble. He said there will be trouble. You can't predict what will go wrong or when it will go wrong but something eventually will go wrong. But that doesn't change God's purpose for you. In fact, if you lean into God and trust him during your setbacks, those same setbacks can serve to refine your heart and your character and actually prepare you for the purpose that God has for your life.
That's why the Apostle Paul said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Now, some people twist that to mean, oh, God's going to give me everything I want and everything's going to go perfect all the time. God is like Santa Claus. But that's because they don't read the next verse. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. See, God's desire for us is that we would become more like Jesus. So we start to find meaning and peace in our struggles when we know that if we seek God in it, he'll start to shape us into someone who's more like his son. Someone who is kind, patient, loving, wise, and joyful. But part of finding that perpetual happy place is recognizing that this refinement process is not always going to be comfortable. I understand that's a huge commitment. Trust God in everything. See God no matter how hard it is. I get that, but don't you ever just feel a little exhausted chasing after happiness? In this perpetual struggle to attain this thing, this perfect life, to have the perfect family and the, the perfect job and the substantial salary that will finally be enough. Newsflash, it's never enough. If you knew me back when I was in college, you would have said, that guy, that guy is happy. I had lots of friends, girls liked me. I was partying like every day. And somehow I managed to maintain a B average. People thought, yeah, that guy's happy. But that's because they didn't know that I wanted to end my life. I didn't tell people how alone I felt, how worthless that I felt. Because remember, I came from poverty. My dad walked out on me. You know how many people in my life told me I would never amount to anything? I had teachers in my class that told me I would never be anything. And so going to college wasn't going to change who I was. But I didn't know who I was until I started to follow Jesus and God showed me. See, God spoke truth right into my heart. He told me who I was, that I'm a child of God, created for a significant purpose to make an impact on this world. And he told me who he was, the all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent creator of the universe who loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. He is the only one who can bring me peace and comfort in my chaotic times. He is the only one who can bring me lasting joy. You remember that definition of happiness that we talked about in the beginning? It said that happiness is that feeling you get when you know life is good and you can't help but smile. I think it's, it's close, but it just needs one tweak. Happiness is that feeling that comes over you when you know God is good and you can't help but smile. Your circumstances will change, but God won't. He is always faithful, always loving, always listening, always there. 
All you have to do is pursue him above all else. And I know, I know that's scary to think about, giving your whole life to someone and just trusting them with everything. But I'm telling you it's worth it. I'm telling you from my own experience in my life that it's worth it. And the only way to find out is to take that step. I, I can't show you that part. I can only tell you what I know. And you have to make that decision. It's between you and God. No one can do that for you. So as you process that today, I want to give you an opportunity. The Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you'll be saved. Two very simple things, declare and believe. And I'm going to say a prayer that includes both of those things. And if you decided, I'm tired of trying to find happiness, I'm trying to find la- tired of trying to find lasting joy my way, God, I, I, I want to follow you. If you decided to make that decision, then just silently to yourself, speak that prayer. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.